Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's a great disposition, isn't it? To come into opening his word and hearing his word together. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'd like to add my welcome to you this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to, yeah, open up the Word of God with us this morning. We're going to have a couple of Bible readings, then we're going to pray and dive into it. So we're having two readings this morning. There's also another one we're going to be looking at. It's a bit all over the place, but uh, we're going to be reading two readings from Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews. So you might like to turn there on your phone. It will be on the screen uh, for you as well. First one is from Hebrews 10, uh, verse 19 through to verse 25. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. I'm reading from the ESV. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near and then just a couple of pages over hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 to 24 hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 to 24 for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I'm going to pray. If someone wouldn't mind delivering me the clicker, that would be a great help. I forgot to get it this morning. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come this morning and we want to come to your word no matter where we're at, uh, no matter what stage we're at in understanding who you are and what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Would you help us to pray the words of that song in relation to, to hearing your word and responding to it? Not my will, but your will be done. Would you help us to know deeply in our hearts today that your will is the best thing for us and for your glory? And so would, we help, would you help us to pray it knowing that deeply, Lord, not your will, sorry, not my will, but yours be done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I think I might be relying on my AV guy. I don't see a clicker have arrived, so it must have vanished. Never mind. Never mind. I wonder, as we uh, begin this morning, if you've ever heard someone say the following or something like it. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Or, to put it another way, I don't need the church to be a Christian. I wonder if you've heard someone say something like that, or at least uh, function like that, uh, regularly. Now, while it's true, uh, as the famous quote from Billy Sunday says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car, it is true that we don't need the church to become a Christian. But is it true that we don't need the church to be a Christian? And I want to say this morning, and I hope you agree with me by the end of our time together, absolutely not. Absolutely not. To be a Christian, to live the Christian life, we need the church. To conclude otherwise, friends, sadly would be to tragically fail to see what God says about his church. To conclude that we don't need the church to be a Christian would be to sadly miss and fail to see what God says about his church, his purpose for it, and what he intends by giving us, as followers of Jesus, a place in it. And yet, sadly, I think for many professing Christians, perhaps to varying degrees, we haven't really grasped the beauty of what the church is, of why God gave it to us, and what it means to have our place in it. And I'm hoping this morning we'll be able to see something more of that. We're continuing our series called Planted, uh, Thriving Together in Christ, which actually the name itself kind of implies it, doesn't it? Thriving Together in Christ. It kind of implies something uh, uh, of a corporate nature. Um, and this morning we're going to be looking at membership. We've looked at magnification. We've looked at the fact that we were made to glorify and enjoy God, to delight in him, to discover his greatness, to devote ourselves to him. I wasn't here last week, but I understand you looked at maturity in Christ, what it means to kind of together help each other grow, to become more and more mature in Christ so that on the last day we might be presented before him, perfect, complete, lacking nothing uh, on that day. Well, this morning we're looking at membership, belonging to Christ together, belonging to Christ together. So what is membership? What does the Bible say about it? Why does it matter? Well, we're going to, we're going to answer that question in two ways. I want to suggest to you this morning that membership is about who we are and about where we are. It's firstly about who we are and secondly about where we are. The other passage we're going to look at this morning is in Romans 12. So you might want to flip there as we look at our first point, which is who we are in Christ. Membership is about who we are in Christ. Have a look at Romans 12 and verse 3 to 5. Paul's writing to a church, a group of believers, and he says this to them. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself or herself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according 
to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Notice, friends, that when you become a Christian, a whole bunch of wonderful things happen, but one of the wonderful things happen is spoken of here. We are actually united or joined to Christ spiritually when we turn from our sins and put our trust in him and become one of his followers. Notice the little phrase, in Christ, in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Uh, that little phrase is everywhere. It's littered across the whole New Testament and it's worth your time just to spend looking into it and what it means and the implica implications of it for you. But essentially, Paul is saying we are united to Jesus when we become a Christian. And all that he has won for us when that happens floods into our lives. And that's not something that just happens for us as individuals. It happens for us uh, collectively as his people. And so by virtue of being united to Christ together, we become part of his body, his church, at that point. And because of this, we are actually united to one another. Notice what Paul says in verse 5 again. So we, though many, many parts, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I want to suggest to you, friends, there's no such thing as the flying solo Christian. There's no, the Bible doesn't picture it at all. It pictures a group of people united to Jesus by faith and therefore united to one another in his body. This is about who we are. This is about who you are and who I am in Christ. We belong to Jesus first and foremost, but we belong to one another also. This is part of the beauty of what Jesus intends in his church his body. So friends, do you see that membership of the body of Christ is not about a choice we make, but it's about an identity that we share. It's about an identity that we share. It's about who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. So we need to allow then this to shape us in terms of how we think about one another. Because I don't know whether you've noticed this, but it's pretty easy for our thinking about one another to get out of whack, to become flawed or distorted or unhelpful and maybe even worse, maybe, you know, destructive even. 
right? It's clear even just from this little passage in Romans that something like that is kind of going on. Did you notice what Paul says in verse 3? For, the, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than you ought to think. Hello, there's something going on here in the Roman church, isn't there? Some people are puffing themselves up and looking down on others. And what is Paul's antidote to that? How does he address that? Well, he addresses it by talking about the fact that they are one body in Christ. He addresses it by reminding them of their identity in Christ, which then is going to shape the way they think about one another, the way they relate to one another, the way they interact with one another, the way they encourage one another. And it's going to, inter it's going to shape the way they think about themselves at the same time. See, I don't want to trust my own thinking when I'm thinking about what the church is and what it should be like and how it should function and all of that. Because I'm equally uh, uh, vulnerable to getting all of that wrong. I want to let the Word of God shape how we think about the church. And here's this beautiful picture of it as the body and we're members together in Christ of the body and of one another we need the word of God here to shape our values in terms of the church you know what do you think of it how do you view it do you value it do you see it as God sees it do you see what membership in it actually should look like even just from these few verses this morning. Friends, membership is ultimately and primarily about who we are in Christ. It's not about having a vote at next week's members' meeting. That's not what it's about. It's not about exercising your democratic right. That's, that would be tragic if that's what we thought membership was. Yes, it involves that. Yes, we'll come together and prayerfully discern some decisions that we're going to make. And yes, we'll, we'll receive some recommendations from the elders. And yes, we'll either affirm or not affirm those, given our consciences and what we think the leading of Christ is in this particular situation. That's not just exercising a democratic right, is it? That's being and functioning as the body of Christ together. So it's about who we are first and foremost. Secondly, it's about where we are in Christ or through Christ and then we come back to those readings from the book of Hebrews. The first one we're going to start with is Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So where are we through Christ? Well the answer to that has two parts to it. We've got to understand firstly the heavenly church and we've got to understand the local church. So I know it's hot but keep your brain kind of kicking into gear and stay with me on this for a few minutes. Firstly, we're going to look at the heavenly church in Hebrews 12. Have a look at it there again. Verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Clearly, that's Mount Sinai, right? That's when God gave the Ten Commandments. That's when the mountain was shaking and the voice that was coming from that mountain uh, just filled them with fear. That's what that's picturing. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, you haven't come to that mountain. Well, where have you come then? Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous men, of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where are we through Christ? Well, we are part of the heavenly church. We are part of this gathering here, which we call either the heavenly church or the invisible church and so on. Notice it includes all Christians from all times and all places, including you and me. It's based on the new covenant established by Jesus through his death and resurrection. Do you see what we see here? This is mind-blowing, don't you think? It's actually like, you know, if you could roll back the skies and look straight into the heavenly realms. That's what we've got here. Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. We've been given a glance in there. And more than that, we're being told that through Christ, through the new and living way, through his body, we have access to this. We've been brought here. This is actually, friends, where we belong. This is where we belong. Through Christ, we, we've been brought here and notice what we're joining in with. <laughs> we're joining in with the angels in what's called their festal gathering. I didn't even look up that word, but it clearly has the note of celebration, right? You've got myriads, it says innumerable angels. You can't count them. There's so many of them around the throne of God. And what are they doing? Well, they're, they're celebrating. And you, by virtue of the new covenant, by virtue of the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you've come to Christ, you have been brought here. This is where you belong ultimately. Through Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, who died for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Now notice that although this is the eternal city, our excess is not just future. Right? It's not like, you know, uh, pie in the sky when you die, you don't get it until then. No, the writer says you have come to this place already. You will come there in a much greater way in the future. But in one sense, we're already there. It's kind of this idea where Christ raises you up and seats you with him in the heavenly realms. We have access to there. We belong here. We enter into this. That's astonishing, isn't it? When you think about membership, when you think about what the church is, yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly better than a building built in the 90s and then a bit more in the 2000s with kind of 30-year air conditioning. and so It's a little bit better than that, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It's breathtaking. It, it's more than you can get your head around, this thing called the church. 
this assembly, this gathering brought together by the death and resurrection of Jesus, this eternal people that are there with the angels. Wow. That's where you are through Christ. But not only that, Hebrews is equally clear that though we are part of the heavenly church, we are to be part of the local church, the local visible church. Flip back a page or so in uh, Hebrews to the other reading that we had. Perhaps it's a familiar one to you, but let's read it again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that was opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we've looked at the fact that membership is about our identity, it's about who we are, but it's also about where we are through Christ, part of the heavenly church, but now clearly part of the local church. Our heavenly belonging, if you like, is to be lived out on earth in a local church. If that's not the case, then this passage makes no sense at all. Notice the, little, the two little words, let us. Let us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. It implies, doesn't it, that there's an us. Otherwise, how do you do it if there's not an us? And if there is an us, who's the us? Does this passage, is this passage exhorting us to exhort and draw near to God together and spur one another on to every Christian in the city of Goslars and the city of Armidale? I hope not. Number one, I don't know who they are. Number two, I don't know how I'd get to them. Number three, I don't know how I could faithfully live that out. I'd be in constant disobedience. So it must assume that the us is a defined group of people that know one another in order for them to live this out together. Correct me if I'm wrong, please, but it just seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? That there's a group of people that are, they, that are us, they're the us and they're going to do this together. So me, and it can only... It can only make sense if there is a local, defined, visible church. Uh, verse 24 and 25 is the same. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, we're supposed to meet with together. Who with? Everyone? All the Christians across Perth? Maybe just Gosnells. Even that would be too much. We don't have the building size if all the Christians gathered in one place. Who, how do we know when someone's not meeting together? As is the habit of some. There's got to be some way that we go, oh, such and such who I know is missing. I haven't seen them for two or three weeks. Maybe I should give them a call because I don't want them to stop meeting together because they need to be encouraged all the more as we see the day approaching. It assumes, doesn't it, that there's a defined group of people who at least to some degree know each other in order for us to live this out together. The other thing that's interesting about this is this passage also makes no sense if membership is not a thing. Right? Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's break that down a little bit. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Which leaders? What leaders? How do I know who they are? And and then they're supposed to be keeping watch over your souls and they're going to answer to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, one day as to how well they've done that. Yikes! I better know who those people are that I'm supposed to care for. Otherwise, I'm in trouble on the final day, as are the rest of the elders. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So that assumes a level of relationship and involvement that, you know, it's possible for the people of God to make the leaders groan, make their work hard and difficult, which would be of no advantage to the flock. So again, it just assumes, implies clearly a group of people who are committed to one another, who are walking with Jesus together, who are doing life together, over which there are God-appointed biblical leaders and this relationship exists. It's where you are through Christ. He has brought you into his heavenly church, but he intends for you to be part of his local church. And as we've already alluded to, we need this. We need this, which is, I think, one of the things that we often don't realise. This is one of the ways that the local church is misunderstood. You know, oh, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll commit, maybe I'll go regularly, maybe three out of four weeks. That's pretty cool. It's pretty committed. And, yeah, it's not too bad. But is that it? Is that really it? Is that all this is about? Turning up on a Sunday between 10 and 12, reasonably regularly? Is that it? I don't think so. You see, God intends the church to be a means of grace for his people. In other words, you and I, including me, not just you, all of us, as alluded to before, even those who are shepherds in, among the flock are actually also sheep 
who can stray. So we all need it. We all need this because we have the potential to drift and stray. And God has given us the local church and the means of grace that happen in it when it gathers and also throughout the week to keep us from drifting and make sure that we will end up standing before Jesus on the final day. We've made it. Have a little bit of a look down from Hebrews 10 after uh, where we just read. Hebrews 10 and verse 26. So all this let us, let us, let us, let us, right? But have a look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's a warning, isn't it? That's a warning for us not to end up in a particular place. And what's the means that God has given for us not to end up there? Let us, let us, let us, let us. It's one another. It's the gathering together and hearing the word of God preached. See, even this morning, God's grace is being poured into our lives as we open up the scriptures, reorientating, correcting, straightening, encouraging our thinking around this thing that we're part of called the church. We are receiving a means of grace as we do this, as we come around the Lord's table, not this week, but next week. We come and we remind ourselves that we humble ourselves and we're like, oh my goodness, yes, this juice and this cup, I need what this points to. And I'd, been, I'd forgotten that a little bit this week, but praise God, I've now reminded myself of it. And as I take this bread and drink this juice, I remember that I need Christ and I need to put my faith in him and keep trusting him and keep following him and so on. That's another means of grace. Baptism, we've got some coming up, praise God. And when someone's baptised, wow, the whole church is built up, right? Because we hear the testimony of this person who's come to know Jesus and then we see them baptised in the water, going down into the water, symbolising that they've died in Christ and, that, and coming up out of the water, symbolising that they put their trust in him and been raised with Christ. And we, we're seeing the gospel in this beautiful image and we're hearing the story of someone's salvation and the grace of God is being poured into the life of us as we participate together in that. There's another means of grace. And then there's just the one another's. I found out recently that there's 59 of them in the New Testament. One another's. They're the things we're exhorted to do for one another. Just the body life ministry between God's people one to another. 59 different things for you to think about. All of those are means of grace that God has built into the life of this thing we call church and why we want to be part of it, committed to it, covenanting together to walk with Jesus until we all stand before him finally on that final day. Membership is about where we are through Christ. Let me just show, uh, share with you a couple of the one another's. Here's one from Romans 12. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Look at this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That, doesn't that assume some level of relationship? That you would know someone enough to know when there's a joyful thing that's happened in their lives so that you can rejoice with them, praise God that he's done that in your life. Or you know them well enough to know when they're suffering 
and you can weep with them as, as they're going through whatever it is they're going through. Guard one another. Hebrews 12, see, see to it that no one fails to obtain to the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Right? Again, it assumes that there's possible for us to fail to obtain the grace of God, and so we need one another to exhort, to encourage, and so on. Build one another up. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, as you are doing. And what about this one? I think you might have heard this one last week. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What another beautiful picture of a local church. In this case, the church at Colossae. Right? What are they doing for one another? They're speaking the truth into each other's lives. They're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude to their hearts, uh, in their hearts to God. Membership is about who we are in Christ, but it's also about where we are through him. Now, the most well-known illustration, I think, of the church and our need of it is the classic uh, coal in the fire one. I'm sure if you've been around long enough in Christian circles, you would have heard the coal in the fire one. But if you haven't, I'm going to share it with you. And if you have, well, maybe you need reminding. I don't know. You know the story, there's a, there's a fire, it's, it's burning, it's going really well, there's, there's lots of hot coals. Um, but what happens when you take one of those coals and pull it out of the fire and put it to one side on the hob? Well, it kind of stays glowing for a little while, doesn't it? But then it dies down and dies down to a smolder and maybe even stops. What's the cure? Put it back. Put it back. And that's the illustration that's often used about you need to go to church. You need to go to church, which is fine. It's obvious. But I hope you've seen this morning that it can picture a whole lot more than that. It's about who you are. A member of the body of Christ. What? That's astonishing. That though we were far from him, we're now united to him. And that for eternity and together with others, his people. What a beautiful thing. The Lord forgive us for diminishing our thinking about his church, thinking small thoughts about it, failing to see its beauty, maybe even despising it, devaluing it. Do you see it as the gift <laughs> of God that it is? Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not the bride presented to Christ without spot or wrinkle or blemish yet right it's got some wrinkles and some blemishes that Jesus is still working out and getting rid of you know it might be a bit rough at times a bit bumpy you know someone might kind of rub you up the wrong way maybe maybe they might misunderstand you but it's still God's gift to his people do you see it that way do you see it as critical 
for you to persevere to the end. Critical. Do you see that we both have privileges and responsibilities towards one another? There's 59 of them. You can go and look them up. Or Justin will tell you what they are. As he looked them up for us. I want to ask you, are you a member of this local church or another one? Or are you actually committing to walk with others in a local group of believers, whatever that looks like for you? Because surely from this passage that we've seen, surely you're hanging kind of just loose and on the edge of a church, that, surely that can't be right. Surely that can't be what God intends. Surely God has better for us than that. And I think we can see from these passages of Scripture this morning that he absolutely does. That's not going to be perfect. But it's his means of grace to you and to me that one day we might stand before him there, perfect. Do you know what Paul said to a church once? He says, what is my joy and crown? In other words, what's like the best thing about my ministry ever that could ever possibly happen for me? You know what he says? Is it not you in the presence of Jesus? Oh, that's it, right? What would be our crown as a church here? Would it not be one another in the presence of Jesus on that final day? Let's think about it together as we pray and then we'll respond in song. The last song that I've, that I've asked for uses the word we a lot. So let's, let's sing it together in a few minutes, but let's pray first. Father, we... Uh, we want to thank you and we want to praise you for your word. Just a few verses from three different places and uh, we've looked at things that are eternal, that are breathtaking, that in many ways are beyond our grasp but enough to grip our hearts about who we are, Lord, what you've done, not just forgiveness of our sins and, and bringing us new life, but a new family, a new people, an eternal community together with angelic beings. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your body, for your bride, for the beauty of it. We know it's still a work in progress now and we pray, Lord, as we've thought about the local church and how we need one another and the, the grace that comes from you through one another as we speak uh, the truth to one another in love as we teach and admonish one another as we sing, as we pray as we come under your word as we gather around the table of, uh, of your death and resurrection and so many other things beside as we live out the one another's imperfectly but nevertheless intentionally Father we thank you thank you for your kindness in giving us the church and bringing us into it giving us a part in it giving us something to do, a purpose for our lives, to build one another up, to help each other persevere.
to welcome others into it through the gospel of Jesus, to see them joining. Father, these are great things. Lord, there is a spiritual battle and we need each other for that. We are often uh, tempted, perhaps in trials and suffering at times. Lord, under attack from the evil one, but you have given us everything we need. Lord, in your son and in his body. Lord, that we might persevere to the end and joy find ourselves joyfully standing in your presence. Father, would you help us to do that for one another and together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.